0: Well, we finished, I finished, we went through Philippians, so I thought we would move on to Colossians, so I'm not sure how far we'll get, going to basically do an introduction today. Um, if Ephesians has been called the epistle portraying the church of the Christ, the church of Christ focusing on the body of Christ, then Colossians could be called the epistle portraying the Christ of the church and it focuses on the head. So, Colossians, another letter. It was founded in the Lycus Valley near modern-day Turkey. It's about where it is. And uh, Hierapolis and Laodicea, commonly cities you might have heard of, obviously Laodicea you've heard of, they were very close by, and as soon as they got popular, Colossi kind of lost its importance. It was on a main travel road. And... If you were in Clossy and this letter showed up and was read at your church, hopefully it got their attention because history tells us that was probably just a matter of one or two years, but soon after this, an earthquake hit and devastated it, and it was gone. And like many of Paul's epistles, um, there's a format right. we can go through and look at this doctrinally, mathematically, uh, how, we, how we study the Bible. And chapters 1 and 2 are doctrine, and chapters 3 and 4 are practical and exhortation. So a lot of times when Paul writes, he does that. He'll do a teaching, and then he'll tell you how to apply it to your life. And um, basically, the titles in some of these books and outlines I've seen, uh, 1 and 2 talks of the supremacy of Christ, and 3 and 4 are the submission to Christ. And just as Paul wrote to the letter, to the Philippians from jail. Uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon are all called prison epistles. So this is one of the letters that Paul also would have wrote from the jail, just as he did to the church in Philippi. And we're gonna find some uh, common themes. It was not far from the time that he wrote that uh, letter, um, and some of the people we're going to see, um, if you're, just in Philippians, you don't have to turn there, uh, just to get a little background, Philippians 6:21 says, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. So there's this Tychicus, or Tychicus, however you say his name, was bringing a letter to The Ephesian church from Paul in jail. He says, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So this Tychicus was bringing the letter to the Ephesian church from Paul in jail. And if we were to read in Colossians 4, verse 7... To 9, it says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Onesimus was from the church in Colossus. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. So now we see that Onesimus and Tychicus were coming, and in the book of Philemon, it also mentions that, uh, I usually have all my spots marked out, but. We know that Onesimus was uh the, the slave that Philemon had released. So I don't you don't need to turn there, but um so Onesimus and Titus were with Paul in jail, and they brought the letters from Paul to the Ephesians, left that in Ephesus, and then they went from there to Philippi. I'm sorry, to uh Class Philippi was a, a separate letter brought by different people at a different time, but from the same spot, and the church in class was onesimus's and Philemon 's home church, and Philemon seemed to have had a, a home church there that Onesimus went to. He was a slave, and Paul released him, so they're well familiar, so as they showed up, they read these letters in both places as well as in we 'll read one the time we get to the end of class to take it to uh, Laodicea as well as the other churches nearby. So these were to be shared amongst everybody. The letter to the Colossians was for the whole church, and then they seemed to have read publicly the letter where Paul was addressing to Philemon the issue with Onesimus. So they come, and Epaphras is also a, a, a name. He seemed to have had a, a a good standing in the church. And Tychicus evidently had brought news about some doctrinal errors or issues that were going on in the church in class. And there seems to be uh, a few of them pretty much like some simulated was a Greek speculation, um, high mindedness, how they thought about the Greek gods. There were so many because every single thing had its own God. So it was a haughty spirit, high mindedness. Um, Jewish legalism which seemed to be prevalent that Paul dealt with frequently to many of the churches most of the churches actually and Oriental mysticism and then some people say it's a form of Gnosticism now the first like what John wrote dealing with Gnosticism that wasn't around yet so this is like the beginning or or, uh, an early version or form of this early Gnostic basically saying that the spirit is good the flesh is bad anything that's flesh is bad and they kind of Paul is addressing those topics. Of, uh, starts out, if it had an outline, there's a greeting. It talks about their faith in Christ. He talks about the preeminence of Christ. Then he talks about being reconciled in Christ. Then he talks about it's not philosophy, but Christ. Then he says it's not legalism, but Christ. Then he talks about it's not carnality, but Christ. Then he talks about the character of the new man, Christian graces, the Christian home, and then a closing and an exhortation. So the first two books are doctrine, and we kind of touched on those four topics. And I think, just for time's sake, I think I have plenty of time, um, I'm not going to probably introduce anything new. It's more of an exhortation, things that we already know. um, As we prayed after worship, she was talking about the humanity of Christ. So there's this, who is God? Who is Jesus? What is Jesus like? The last time in Philippians, we were talking about thinking. And we were talking about the three parts of human and where did the thoughts and the mind come from and what things happen in what place. And we know that we were created, God thinks. We were created in his likeness. God's a trinity. And you guys probably got that down, Pat. I don't know if we'll ever get that down pat. It, it's not easy to believe. It's just sometimes hard to understand because we're in a physical limited body. But we do understand parts of it. Some of it makes sense. There's been a lot of things that have been explained to try to put it in a physical thing that, realm that we can understand. But for me, the easiest thing is that we are created in his, in his image. We know that the spirit that's in us is the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And the rest of it is there's a soul and a body. Which one of them is you, right? And if you're, if I get laid down, dead of a heart attack right there, something left me. When you describe me, are you talking about my personality? Is that who I am? Yeah. Well, is that body me? How tall I am? That's me too. They're both me. We're one. We can't be separated, but they're distinct. And we were made it in his image. And I think that's going to be important to understand some of these things that we're going forward here. So... His humanity, what, did, what was Jesus like in heaven before he came down? Well, he actually showed up and appeared, right? He, and, his, and the Bible talks about it was cloaked, right? It, probably the only time possibly that he was uncloaked is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He, he, he became a man. He acted as a man. Things that he did, we're going to get into that more later. He did, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the disciples kept on growing in their understanding of who he was because he was a man just like them. And they were doing things he was doing. And they got comfortable around him. Can you imagine being comfortable around God? Like hanging out with him and saying, yeah, I wonder who the greatest is going to be. And acting like yourself around him. I mean, we know enough, we'd probably be freaked out. They were comfortable around him. They were like, you know, he's not that much different. And the whole book, if you read from the Gospels on, they went from John specifically. It's easy to see. He he was probably related to him. He was around him as a child. Next thing you know, he's doing miracles. He was an awe, but now John's doing miracles then all of a sudden he's doing things and there's a following but then he's part of the following they're following him too then he's laying at the last supper with his head on his breast and he gets to the point finally where he's he falls down on his feet as dead he's like you know what he kept on becoming more aware of who god who jesus is and he put him more in awe of him and god allows us to be comfortable and come up to him and i used to be Skeptical when I hear people talk about you know the old man upstairs, i'm thinking you have no idea who you're talking to, do you, but you know what he sometimes it's it's not necessarily proper, but if that's where they're at, God can grow them and show them who he is. He has no problem with people being comfortable around him um but if Rob earlier today said the gospels the four gospels, right Matthew Mark, Luke, and John, they each had a point matthew they all have the same message but the king of the Jews. Mark, Jesus is a perfect servant. Luke, Jesus was the perfect man, and he was a man. He put on, he cloaked his godness. Everything that he did, we'll read about that. He did led by the Spirit of God, just as we have the ability to be led by the Spirit of God. And then John reveals him as God. It's the most Christ-centered gospel. Some people say Colossi, the book to the Colossians, is probably the most Christ-centered book, second to John, John's second, There's more Christ-centeredness about Jesus in the book of Colossians maybe than any other book in the Bible. So just to get a background, because it goes fast, I think I'm just going to read through. We might not even get into breaking this apart until I teach next time, but I just want to read the first two chapters to get a background, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints... The saints are actually in the church in class, they're not in heaven. <laughs> to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossi, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you, as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, speaking of his Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or foremost over all creation. For by Jesus, by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, "'Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, "'all things were created through him and for him. "'And he is before all things, "'and in him all things consist. "'And he is the head of the body, the church, "'who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, "'that in all things he may have the preeminence. "'For it pleased the Father,' verse 19, "'that in him all the fullness should dwell.' And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on the earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Jesus is the head, the body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations But now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of love and a full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Verse 3, In whom, speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And again, abounding with thanksgiving and joy. These are things common, right? Paul wrote all this from jail. It sounds very similar to the Philippian church. And in his circumstances and the way things are going, we know it's available to us too. If Paul had that, it's available in Christ. Verse 8 Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. And again, this Greek philosophy an empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. get nothing? I was meditating on that for a while. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Now he battles legalism. In him you also were circumcised, With the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, the law, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Because of that, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. So all of the law, all of these things pointing There is shadow of something, and a shadow obviously means there's a light, and the light shines on an object, and the object then casts a shadow. And why would you sit there and look at the shadow when you have the object right in front of you? These are things that are a picture of something, and the substance is right there. Don't hang on and grab nothing. You can't hug a shadow, but you can hug Jesus. He's right there. Give him a hug. Come to him. Crawl to his feet if you need to. Verse 18, let no one cheat you. Of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And the key there, fleshly mind, things that we can think of. You're not going to be able to figure God out. He has to explain himself to you. And the good news is he will explain himself to you. We don't have to guess. If you're guessing, it's wrong. 19, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body... Nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grow with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh, nor can they be, because in your flesh you have to accomplish them. You're actually feeding your flesh by trying to deny yourself. So, Christ-centered book. Everything is about Jesus. Everything that we see is a shadow of him. So naturally, this is the most Christ-centered book it's only right, I think I spend the rest of the time talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Which might say, if this is the Christ-centered book, first of all, well, let's get into it. Jesus is the, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the Godhead, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and again, not something that we don't know. We're taught, we know what the Bible teaches. We have the doctrine down, but how does that resonate inside our soul? What do we do with that? How do we practically let that affect us? Who is the Holy Spirit? Right, he's the third person of the Trinity. He's declared omnipotent in Luke 1. He's declared omniscient in 1 Corinthians 2. He's declared omnipresent in Psalm 139. He's declared creator in Genesis 1. He speaks. He teaches. He strives. He comforts he grieves and it says in second peter right for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of god spoke as they were moved by the holy spirit the bible is written its prophecy holy men holy separated people called out for that task there were prophets in the old days they were moved by the holy spirit the holy spirit inspired them the holy spirit wrote the bible So everything we're reading here about Jesus was written by the Holy Spirit. You want to know Jesus, you need to know the Holy Spirit, because you're not going to be able to figure it out on your own. He needs to tell you, and he wants to tell you. And that's what we're going to be talking about. If you want to be all about Jesus, so sometimes if there's a church and says, oh, yeah, we're all about the Holy Spirit, and if you go there and that's all that they have, well, the Holy Spirit will bring you to Jesus. You need to be a Spirit-filled believer to know Jesus, and you need to be a Spirit-filled church to honor Jesus. So that's why I just wanted to spend some time tonight talking about that. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. He needs to impress it upon your heart to make it true in your life. And uh, if we Second Corinthians, chapter three. We'll just start in verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Verse 2, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you also are a letter from God, an epistle. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. So he wrote the whole Bible, and he's continuing to write the Bible, or through us. He's writing you. You are an epistle. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, then who is writing on, what's being written on your heart? What do people see when they look at you? Right? We say, I want to be like Jesus. Well, you can try as hard as you want. You're never going to be able to be God-like. We weren't created to be God. We were created to be filled. Once you're filled with God, then people will see him in you if we get out of the way. James 2. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit is writing on the tablets of your heart, making you a letter. It says in James 2, Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So we're going through, we read the whole two chapters, right? There's a body. The church is a picture of the body. You are a walking example of the church. You have ligaments and tendons. Some of our parts are getting old. Some of them need to get replaced. But they're all tied together and they work. And I don't remember ever going for a walk, and I'm going somewhere, and my feet had intention, and I'm sitting there wondering, hmm, I wonder where I'm going. My feet haven't told me yet. Your feet don't decide where you go. You have a head, right? We have a head. We should not be walking around. This says if if you don't have the spirit, the body's dead. The body needs a spirit, right? You can, some people say you can cut a chicken's head off, and it lives for a little while. It doesn't. It's just nerve endings. It's dead. But if somebody were to take off your head, you're dead. Spiritually, if you don't have a head, you're dead. You're just a body. You're a living, dead person. On your way nowhere. Jesus is life. You don't have life. The spirit without the body is dead. The body is the church. We need the spirit. So how does this whole thing with the body and the spirit work, right? Well, 1 Corinthians 12. We'll spend some time here. So we know there's gifts. Are gifts are something that God gives to people that earn the right to have a gift? Do you qualify to be chosen by God to do something? Do you, like... Well, this is backwards. Do you have to when like when you first get saved, do you like in kindergarten you sit up front and eventually you make it all the way to the back row cuz that's where the cool people sit. Now you've made it somewhere. No. Then another the next obvious question is is who gets gifts? Why do they get gifts? And do you have a gift? What are we doing? And if the if the body without the spirit is dead, if I am not gifted by the Holy Spirit to do something then it, then I shouldn't be doing anything. Right? We'll talk about that a little bit. Pastor Rob blessed me with a, a book that I finished today, Alive in the Spirit. And I'm actually going to be reading a little bit out of that. That's. Did you read it? A little bit? It's awesome. It's a, we'll get there. 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. A well-known passage of scripture, hopefully we won't just hear the same words and let it go. We need the Holy Spirit to instruct us, right? You know that you were carried, They you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. However you were led. How were we led? I don't know, however. Emotions, feelings, circumstance, we had false gods, we had false idols, and they're dumb, they're mute, they can't talk. They didn't have a head. They just showed up and their desire ruled, however that led them. And they just followed naturally what naturally happened. Three, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which he's doing in the book of Colossians, if if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, not only can you speak, but your life will represent that you have a head. Jesus is governing my body. When my body moves, it's governed by him. He's setting me up in places. We know that there's a thing called providence. If you're familiar with providence, it's, it's when God works supernaturally through natural events. Like all of a sudden, like she was talking about, Aubrey was talking about, the body and the head, I mean, just earlier in in prayer, it's like exactly what we were talking about. It just sometimes you don't know how it got there, it just happened. And then there's other supernatural times when things just happen. Coincidences. Four, there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities but it is the same God who works all in all but the manifestation of the spirit the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all so the spirit manifests himself so the next question is how is the spirit manifesting himself through you because it says it's given to everybody so when people see you they should see the the holy spirit doing something changing something making something if it's manifest it means it was meant to be revealed he needs to be being revealed through you and it's for the profit of everybody 8 for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and you'll see it through the spirit through the spirit through the spirit it's not something that you do naturally it's not a natural gift it's not something that you can figure out it's when he does something to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit is God. He gets to pick. For as the body, this is what brought me here, talking about this relationship between the body and the head. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member but many. But the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Is, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, am I not one of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hear be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set each member's... Set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So, again, providence. God has set each member in the body, so we are a body. We are the church. We're here. We're a living organism to God, alive because of his spirit. And you're not here by accident. He put you here for a reason, whether you realize it or not. And you have a gift that we need. No gift is better than any other except there's no part better than another, except the head's better. (laughs) The head is the best part of the body. You need the head. We need to have a head. Things need to be ordered and ordained and governed. And it's, read Colossians again if you need to. We don't get to pick. It's not a committee. He is God of all and he's in charge and he made everything for himself and he's got a purpose and a plan. And his plan was to put each of us here to do something for a reason ultimately to worship Him, and part of that worship is love. Love fulfills the law, and we love each other by allowing them to see love in us, which He is love. We love each other by exercising the gifts. It's the best thing that we can do for each other. So I've got this book that's convicting. It's uh, A.W. Tozer. It's actually compelling. Not con- it's both. And it says, Alive in the Spirit, Experiencing the Presence and Power of God, Um, It's compiled by James Snyder, but it's all written by A.W. Tozer, and it's never been published before. And uh, I was given this book, and I just wanted to share a couple things out of it about walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. These are terms that we throw around, and we can have our doctrine down on it. But as he poses in his book, do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you have a relationship with him? And it's important, and it's possible What do we need to do to have a closer relationship with the one that Jesus said would come and bring peace? He talks about human talents versus spiritual gifts. Everybody that's ever born has certain natural talents, human talent. Um, God gifts some people, so... It can be confusing, right? Especially, like, the most obvious is worship. People that normally worship have a human talent side involved in that, right? But it's not the same as having a gift to do it, and one of them draws attention to themselves, whether they are doing it on purpose or not, and the other one brings glory to God. Generally, most of the other gifts I can think of in places in the church— You don't have to have any prior anything. God will just zap you and give it to you, but music is something that seems to be a little unique where people have had some human talent to it. Um, But if it's only human talent, it's not worship. Preachers. Preachers can preach. I can be up here. Anybody can come up here. If you're studious and you have a mind and you have a computer, you can sit there and figure out a sermon to say, that's next not necessarily preaching. Politicians do that. Unsaved politicians do that. They preach. Preaching is a gift, but you can preach without the gift. It's just not Christ centered and it's not gonna last through the BMC judgment. The whole if you ever had the privilege and honor and calling to teach the first thing is, I don't want to sound stupid, I want to sound intelligent, and I don't want to say something wrong, and I don't, have bad, I don't want to have bad doctrine. And God always gets you to the place. Once you get through all of that and your pride gets dealt with, I want you to know what I want to tell my people. If he doesn't tell you what to say, then you really are just talking. The gift of teaching means God says, like, I want to, It's because it's for the edification of everybody. So you could teach, you could hear, that's why it's dangerous because there's so many talented and gifted Bible teachers and you can check your doctrine to make sure with people that line up with you if it's right or not but if God gave them a sermon to give to their church that might not be what he wants to say here today you can't just reiterate that's not the gift the gift is God's like I am going to talk to people through you so that means you have to hear him it's humbling it's terrifying actually (laughs) Lord I I I am saying I'm speaking to you to your children in front of you That's why he says, let there not be many teachers, because it's the greater condemnation, right? Talents are things we're naturally good at. It should not be what runs the church. It can run a lot of things. Sometimes people are good at psychology. The ability to mentally or emotionally manipulate people, and that's not one of the gifts mentioned in the Bible. God does not want to use manipulation, although it works. You can sell a lot of cars. You can get people to agree and sign up and do a lot of things and give a lot of money because you can manipulate them but that's not what God intends if you hear that then run others might be good at business you can have a good business plan you might be orderly and be able to run things you can say and even look at a church and say hey I see this whole list of things that you know that could be done better if it's not governed and administered by the spirit of God then it's not going to last. It's not good for the church. You need to have God tell you what you need to do. Sometimes people are good at politics. Sometimes people are good at sales. Um, He talks about that in the book. I just want to read a little bit. In chapter 16, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit are essential today. And he says that we need to be filled with the Spirit. And everybody knows that they should want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet he makes a good case in here how most Christians... That are in the pulp in the churches today don't want to be. They don't want to give up control. They don't want to. It's humbling. There's a lot of things. If you do want to be filled with the Spirit, how do you do that? And he came up with the three Ds: desire, determination, and desperation. Do you desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit? First, you have to want to be. You have to have a desire. And and, and he says first. Sometimes he says you have not because you ask not. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And the next one is determination. Are you? Are you steadfastness? Are your eyes set? Are you? Are you determined to have it no no matter what the cost? And the next thing is desperation. You have to be aware that you can't do anything on your own. Jesus told us, "Without me, you can do nothing." Do we believe him? Are you desperate to get to know God better? Are you desperate to reach a lost world? Are you desperate to have a better prayer life? Lord, I need help. You need, to, you need to throw yourself at his feet. And if, you're, if you have desire and determination and desperation, God will come to you. He promised that he would. And uh, one other spot that kind of hit me that I was hoping to talk to tonight is uh, that's in your personal relationship and walk with him. But as a church body, um, there's a chapter called The Holy Spirit at Work in the Church. And if you'd allow me to just read a little bit here. He quotes Ephesians four twelve to thirteen for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then he says the definitive work of the ministry which the saints are to do is the edifying of the body of Christ, and not so much an ordained ministry. Every Christian has a work to do, and it is primarily the building up of the body of Christ. Then he goes on to say, how does God work? The question we need to explore is how does how God does his work, his final work, his eternal work. We need to understand how God is working if we are going to be used of God and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, I find in the scriptures about four methods whereby God does his work in the church. And I'm just going to read one of them. But it's the consecration to Christ's glory prayer, spiritual gifts, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And just to, under spiritual gifts, it's just a paragraph. The third method God uses in the exercise of spiritual gifts, the giving of these gifts and the exercising of these gifts is what the work of the ministry is all about. The gifts of nature are not enough. There are natural gifts that people have. Musicians have natural gifts. Sometimes those natural gifts can be used and we enjoy them. They are good any place you put them, but you cannot do holy work that way. Only the Holy Ghost can do holy work. And again, as we mentioned, I mentioned before as we were starting that Jesus became a man. Only the Holy Spirit can do holy work. Jesus walked in the power of the Holy Spirit as a man. And uh, I'm just going to read a couple. Scriptures, Acts 10, verse 37, and 38. Uh, that word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit, and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was God. He, he took on flesh. He cloaked his divinity and became a man, and he was given by God the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do miracles while he was here on the earth. Luke 4. <clears throat> we'll just read, we'll, I'll read quite a bit. In verse one, then Jesus, being at that moment filled with the Holy Spirit, so Jesus as a man was being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. <clears throat> so he, even though he was the, third per, or the second person of the Trinity, God, creator of everything, he allowed himself to be governed. He actually was led of the Spirit <clears throat> into the wilderness, being tempted 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, I will give it to whomever I wished. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written he shall give his angels charge over you to keep him, and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Verse 14 Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, had a calling by the Holy Spirit, was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is loving and gracious and merciful and wants to heal and wants to touch, and wants to mend. That's what the Spirit's like. If you want to know what the Spirit is like, read Jesus. Jesus was the bodily form of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, listen to the Holy Spirit in your heart. They're one and the same. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They are not unique in any way. The body, the spirit, the soul, it's the one being. The Holy Spirit comes if you're wondering what your ministry looks like you can start here are you, are you healing people are you touching people are you mending people are you, bind, are you unbinding them that's what the Spirit wants to do through you he was full of the Spirit and all he did it was grace and mercy John 14 I know you can't get enough John I can't. I'm sorry. Yeah, John 14. Verse 16. Well, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments... And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, and the language refers to another helper just like me, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, I will come to you. How does he come to them? I will send the Spirit. Sending the Spirit is Jesus coming to them. I'm not going to leave you orphans. That means you're going to have a father. <laughs> orphans don't have dads. I'm not going to leave you dadless. The Spirit is going to come, and you're going to have the Father, and it's going to be me coming to you, the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is going to declare to you the Godhead. Jesus declared the bodhead bodily. John 15, starting in verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And again, we know this verse. Lord, make this verse look good on me. When the Holy Spirit comes and he has come from the Father, he will testify of Jesus. He needs to explain Jesus to you. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues, yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service and these things they will do to you because they have not known the father nor me but these things i have told you that when the time comes you may remember that i told you that i told you of them and these things i did not say to you at the beginning because i was with you but now i go away to him who sent me and none of you asks me where are you going But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and declare it to you all things that the father has are mine therefore i said that he will take of mine and declare it to you you want to know jesus you want to be all about jesus you want to worship jesus you get everything that you need from him for to do that from the holy spirit you need to cultivate or learn to cultivate a relationship with the third person of the trinity in order to glorify the second person of the trinity who is sent from the first person of the trinity <laughs> they're one and he wants to be one with you right in uh, John 17 the oneness and that's the goal right the mar- this marriage that he set up and it's it, the two shall become one the bride and the groom Jesus and his church, the two becoming one, and John 17 is his prayer, right? Jesus spoke these words, lifting up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, your hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them The words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all are mine, are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me that they will that they may be one as we are one. Jesus wants to be to have us with him as he is with his father and that happens through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about the closeness that we can have. He says it's expedient. It's good that I go away because if I go away then I can send the Holy Spirit. He was looking forward to the time when he can have a personal intimate inside relationship with us and it said that The blood had to be spilled in order for that to happen, right? It said the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified in John, but he has been glorified, and the Spirit has been given. And we can have a relationship. They knew Jesus. They walked with Jesus, but not the way that he wanted it. There was something better he had planned that the disciples, while he was with them, he couldn't do. Something better than that. We say, man, I wish I was here when Jesus walked on the earth. They might have said... The Old Testament saints, they wish they could be here now today. The privilege and the honor that we have, the experience that we can have with God through the minister of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes we forget or we get lazy or we take it for granted or we grieve him or something happens, something interrupts this relationship and the enemy's right there. Just like we read in the tempting Jesus. And we think, and he's there lying. He blew it. It's done. It's over. This is all you got, and it's a a lie from the pit of hell. It's just one turn away. Just believe him. He wants to come. Anything that's happened today, anything that's happened this last week, anything that's happened this last year, he already knew about it before he saved you, and he still chose to die for you. There's nothing too great. Read his ministry. We just read it. He wants to come and bind up all those things and come to the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted, then you are a candidate for the love of God. He wants to come to you. That's why he came. It's not just that he can deal with it, he came to deal with it. He left heaven for it, so that he could have this relationship with us. So if we can just meditate on that, think about that, and uh, Aubrey, if you want to come up and get ready and prepared for communion...